Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybake here for this Monday, the 6th of March in London. Coming up today... Growing pains. China's 5% growth target offers little relief for the global economy. There is a question about the future of the franchise. The parting words of Harris Associates' CIO as they reportedly sell their entire Credit Suisse stake. Making ends meet, the Chancellor looks to cap energy prices and freeze fuel duty in next week's budget. Shelling out elsewhere, burning through billions and a 20 20- $4 million question for CEOs. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. I'm James Wilcock. Plus, is London at risk of losing its luster? Brexit blues hit the capital's investment appeal. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. China has set its economic growth target for the year at around 5%. The goal was announced during the National People's Congress that began on Sunday. Bloomberg's China economy editor, Jill Dysis, says it's a conservative target. They want to be able to hit their target. I think, um, you know, somewhere around 5% gives uh, uh, Beijing quite a lot of room to work with. Um, But they also want to, uh, they don't want to overstimulate the economy. They kind of want to keep things on track. And ultimately, I think what Beijing is looking for this year is um, economic growth that's really going to be driven by uh, a rebound in demand. We'll be getting more of Jill's thoughts in just a few minutes' time. Economists had expected a more ambitious target of above 5% in the wake of rebounding consumer spending. Premier Li Keqiang also said the government will work to prevent what it calls the unregulated expansion of the property market. Now, Harris Associates has reportedly sold its entire stake in Credit Suisse, ending a decades-long relationship. The investment firm's CIO, David Hero, told the Financial Times that, quote, there is a question about the future of the franchise. Those comments follow an interview with Hero in, uh, that Bloomberg did last August in which he had this warning for the Swiss lender. But you can't keep doing the same thing as they've been doing over the last decade and get zero results. They have to put an end to it. At some point, they either have to fix it or to look for other options. That was Harris Associates CIO David Hero speaking to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix last August. Harris was the biggest shareholder in Credit Suisse for many years and halved its 10% holding towards the end of 2022 to 5%. San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly says rates need to head higher and stay there for longer. In a speech at Princeton University on Saturday, she had this to say. It's clear there is more work to do. In order to put this episode of of inflation, high inflation behind us, further policy tightening, maintained for a longer period, 
will likely be necessary. While Daly doesn't vote on policy this year, she is part of the FOMC's meetings and discussions. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell heads to Capitol Hill this week, where he's expected to echo her view that more hikes are needed. Now, with just over a week to go to the UK budget, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt faces a range of competing pressures. But economic think tanks have warned that there's very little headroom for permanent giveaways. Bloomberg Samuel Etienne reports. Strikes, a cost of living crisis and a dangerously tight labour market all calling for fiscal support. There are no easy answers for a cash-strapped Chancellor. Although UK borrowing is running well below official forecasts, the Resolution Foundation and IFS are warning the government not to consider policies like fuel duty or a drop in corporation tax. One think tank estimates the state will need £5 billion just to top up public sector wages by 2% this year. In London, Samuel Etienne, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. SoftBank's arm is seeking to raise at least $8 billion in a U.S. initial public offering, according to Reuters. The British chip designer is expected to confidentially submit paperwork for its IPO in late April. Companies have been choosing to list outside the U.K. as higher liquidity, larger access to capital and better sentiment all prove more attractive than going to London Stock Exchange. Okay, those are a few of our top stories for you this morning. Uh, So we've got the budget that comes up next week. Um, We also have the Reuters reporting around ARM, $8 billion expected to be raised by SoftBank. But ARM is not going to list in London. Obviously, it's going to list in the United States. I think that is a key blow. And there's a big piece of kind of science and technology and innovation that is supposedly going to be part of the budget next week. Yeah, the aim is to make Britain a science superpower by the end of the decade. Caroline, I think it might be a case of closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. You've seen ARM, CRH, but maybe I'm being a little too gloomy here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, you can't and shouldn't count London out. But having said that, it won't be very reassuring that also on the terminal this morning, um, City uh, is planning a new trading floor, not in London, but in Paris, doubling the number of traders that they have in Paris. Yes, they've said London's still the main hub, but apparently they're going to build yeah, a much bigger office. And also, I thought this was quite interesting. It's not going to be the rows and rows of trader desks. It's going to be pods, circular desks. Oh, the post-pandemic world, Caroline. Well, it'll be interesting to see whether that development comes up in the discussions between Emmanuel Macron and Rishi Sunak when the British Prime Minister heads across the channel uh, for discussions later this week on Friday. Can they reset relations with this Windsor framework in the bag. Oh, this is this Franco-British summit that is taking place. I hope you're going to be there on the ground. I have a feeling that you might be. Okay, up next, a shelling out elsewhere, burning three billions and a $24 million question for CEOs. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Paper Review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Well, Caroline, as I say, fresh from what looked like a pretty good week for Rishi Sunak, he's planning to continue diplomacy pushes with France's President Emmanuel Macron later this week. The Guardian, the Times and the Mail all lead on the proposed small boats changes that might come from that meeting. And James Wolcock joins us in the studio bright and early for a deeper look into some of the business stories in the news today. James, let's start off by talking about the interview in the Times with Shell's CEO. Yes, Lizzie. I mean, I want to put an application for a pod before they go away. But Shell... It's the UK's largest company, which made a record $40 billion last year. So it's all the more worrying that their new boss, Wales the One, said Britain is less attractive an investment destination for both the US and Europe because the UK is failing to match them on these green energy subsidies. Now, so this is fascinating because the UK is always stressed by leaving the EU, it could have be standing on its own two feet. Yet now it finds itself caught between two juggernauts, the US on one side with $370 billion of incentives and the EU on the other side saying they will match any incentives that go to companies not, that aren't European. The UK in the middle is sort of pushing for this free market ideology. Grant Shapps in Davos called it dangerous. That's the UK business secretary. But so the question now is, that is an ideological problem. Can they economically back it up? The other thing I find fascinating here, it's worth pointing out, this is a large multi-billion dollar oil company that's talking about going green and is pushing to try and carbon neutralise and this big push to try and be at the forefront of the green transition the big fear, he, he, Shell is saying, is they would like to invest in the UK, but they, if there's no money there, they will get left behind. And the one thing I want to sort of tease out here is that Sawan said that the energy profits levy, the windfall tax the government is putting on profits, is disincentivizing investment. Now, that is completely different to what the previous CEO, Bernard mm. Looney, says. So it's not all sort of, you know, black and white here. There is some layers of grey mixed in too. Okay. The FT are talking about a US tech 
cash crunch. Mm. Now, what is fascinating, obviously, we've been talking about Arm Caroline. Yes. But it's not all sort of golden sunsets and up hitlets sort of valleys up over in the US. There is a big trap here that the FT are reporting on. And the way it goes is you go to the US, you look for a higher valuation, you get it. And then you get a load of cash. And a lot of these sort of big tech companies then burn through that cash. And the FT have run through the company's filings of the 91 companies that have reported last year. And they burn through $12 billion. And the trap is now interest rates are up. If you need a lot more cash because you're still a developing company, how do you get it? Uh, And you could be caught into extreme cost cutting. You could be snapped up by private equity or you could take out a pricey loan. Um, One of their sort of global auditors they spoke to for the piece summed it up very well. Often when you were private, these kind of things would be sort of behind closed doors and could be done quite sort of gently. Now they're having to face public markets when maybe their products wouldn't be quite as ready as if they were, say, an emerging company two, three decades ago. And finally, James, the Wall Street Journal has an interesting story about changes to the way we talk about CEO pay. So normally, Lizzie, when we talk to CEO pay, you get a snapshot. You get like, here's their current salary and maybe here's a bonus. But a lot of this is now being tied up in stocks and shares. That's how a lot of them make their money. And so the SEC, the US regulator, has said, actually, we would like to see your compensation actually paid and you calculating how much you're going to get back in stocks and shares. Now, for Olivier Lepush, who is the CEO of the oil field services company Schlumberger, that is a $24 million difference. He is paid a lot more when you take into account the booming oil stocks. And if you go the other way, the Fastenal New Equity Awards for their CEO, Daniel Flores, he lost nearly half his value because of their tanking shares. So it's an interesting new way that the SEC are sort of looking to calculate these things. It's often been used by private analysts for a very long time, but it's interesting how traders might react to sort of having that big number in bold next to the company's results. Yeah, I mean, I think the the idea has always been that it takes a long time, you know, depending on when those stocks and shares, uh, you know, where you, where, yeah, when you take them effectively over time how much they're actually worth in reality. So, yeah, I think that's quite fascinating that there might be a a big red number attached to these uh, CEOs. Thank you so much, James Alcock there, with a look at the newspapers, a really very interesting roundup. Let's also turn our attention, though, to what happened over the weekend. China has set an annual growth target of around 5%, uh, rather than above that level. The national budget was released on Sunday. It suggests that fiscal support will be restrained. Joining us now is Bloomberg's China Economy Editor, Jill Dyson. Jill, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. The key takeaways then from China's NPC, the sort of political, in quotes, gathering over the weekend... Yes. Um, well, you know, we'll start with the growth target. And I'll, I'll also just remind you that the the, it's, the MPC is going to continue through this week, where I think we're going to see a lot more changes, including, you know, maybe some big shakeups at the high um, political, you know, executive levels, where she is probably going to, uh, President Xi is probably going to consolidate his power more and sell some more allies. But what we've seen already is um, that, uh, that growth target that you mentioned, uh, quite conservative, um, probably signaling that there's not going to be a ton of stimulus coming out of China this year. Um, and we're seeing that kind of reflected into uh, commodity markets, right? It doesn't seem like China is prepared to juice um, growth through, um, you know, uh, real estate, infrastructure, those kinds of things. And instead is probably going to rely more on uh, this consumer-driven recovery that's already underway. So what we've seen out of some data, especially in uh, um, February, is that um, spending is really picking up now that they've dropped all those COVID uh, controls. COVID zero is gone. People are, you know, finally able to leave their houses and spend more money again. 
Um, and it seems like that's probably where China is going to, you know, um, hope that uh, that growth picks up. So, yeah, I think probably a, a bit disappointing um, that this this target wasn't more aggressive. Um, but that does kind of indicate that, uh, um, you know, it's 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 we're going to be better than last year, but not is, uh, you know, not extremely strong. But Jill, they missed the target last year. So I wonder how much of a case of under-promising and over-delivering this is, trying to restore Beijing's credibility and also how much the hangover effect will be for international investors who are hoping uh, to be boosted by Chinese recovery. Oh, yes. I mean, absolutely. This is on the minds of everybody in Beijing. Like, uh, Beijing does not like missing their targets whatsoever. Last year, as you mentioned, it was a pretty big miss. Um, so I guess what this target does do is it gives them more flexibility. I mean, if you say around 5%, um, you know, China also does that thing a lot of the time where it's like, oh, like, we'll give you a range of where we want to, um, you know, uh, how we want growth to perform, all that kind of stuff. And and I think that um, this at least shows that if, uh, you know, if the economy does grow by 5.5% this year, maybe even, you know, 6% if it um, uh, things really, really pick up, then you know they'll they'll certainly um, uh, you know they'll, they'll, they'll certainly match that. But yeah, I think that um, ultimately it's it's it just kind of shows that maybe um, China's also probably a bit worried about what those uh, international risks are looking like. I mean, you know, as growth kind of drops off elsewhere, as uh, demand is uh, waning in places like the U.S. and Europe, um, you know, exports uh, uh, major major contributor to the Chinese economy is probably not going to do um, you know it's probably going to underperform this year. Um, it, it, these officials are looking out for those kinds of effects, too. Um, and I think that that's probably presenting some some risks that they're concerned about as well. You also did mention the shakeup that, that could come in terms of those top roles uh, under Xi. The regulatory overhang, though, is also quite crucial. Is Xi's sort of industry by industry crackdown actually over or does that continue? Yeah, we'll see. I think we've been getting some conflicting ideas about what exactly that's going to look like. Um, now, Premier uh, Li Keqiang he gave his uh, final address as uh, Premier yesterday, talking about the GDP targets in the government work report, and he kind of, um, you know, suggested uh, that um, you know they're going to be regulating real estate, for example. Um, they they don't want to they, they want to prevent like unregulated expansion of the market, um, but ultimately, um, you know, was saying that they wanted to boost market expectations and confidence for private businesses, for example, which. Uh, I think investors have traditionally taken, at least over the past couple of years, as a sign that oh, maybe they're maybe they're easing off the crackdown. But at the same time, uh, think back to last week when President Xi was talking about you know um, wanting to roll up plans for deepening structural reform and you know tightening things for the, the financial sector and um, you know exercising more control over technology and stuff. So it does seem like there is some element of uh, that uh, regulatory overhang um, that's still existing there. So I don't know that we're done with that quite yet, but it does seem that it least the government understands that they need to strike some kind of a balance um, between, you know, boosting that confidence uh, that the, the market has in them, um, but the, mm. then also um, what are they, whatever they're doing with the regulatory sector. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Lizzie Burden. Join us again tomorrow morning morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea 
what to think about Elon Musk, then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 